0: Hey y'all, welcome to Sermons from Centerpoint. My name is Pastor Chris Lorette, and we are so glad that you chose to join with us today. This week, the texts that we'll be reading are Exodus chapter 32, verses one through 14, and the gospel text is Matthew chapter 22, verses one through 14. The sermon is actually based on the gospel text, In this parable, Jesus is talking about a king who invites many people to this wedding banquet for his son. Some people don't come, some people do, and even some of the people that end up coming end up getting kicked out. So, what's going on in this parable? Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. God bless. Well, brothers and sisters, we have come to our time of the reading of Scripture. And so I invite Miss Lisa to uh, tell our first Scripture this morning, which is Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 14.
1: When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the goat earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a, a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in reverie. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented, and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This is the reading of God's word for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God. And brothers and sisters, if you would stand as you are able for Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who'd been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the man's slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. And then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet." "...those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, "'Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe?' And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, "'Bind him, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness.' Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The word of God for the people of God. God. Please be seated. As we look at this week's scripture, I was a little bit confused, as most of Jesus' parables make me. So one of the things that I have the benefit of is uh, there is an entire text chain of about 30-some-odd young pastors like myself that I've recently been invited to because I've become a licensed local pastor. And in that text chain, I have uh, started just asking questions. So I asked people what they thought about this scripture. And there's, as you can imagine, a variety of different views and thoughts and different commentaries and all manner of things. But the one thing that really struck out to me was when somebody said, Chris, you can read this uh, apart from a different things, but you have to get into where you are. Who, what was Jesus trying to communicate to the people he initially gave this parable to? And that's a really good point. Because this parable is, communi- is communicated to a lot of Jewish leaders at that time. A lot of other Jewish rabbis. Whether they be Sadducees or whether they be Pharisees. But the point is clear. Well, as clear as it can be. That Jesus is... Uh, comparing these Jews to the original wedding guests. They're invited to come to the feast. They're invited to come and take part in the king's gracious offer to them. However, they decline. In fact, some go as far as to take the prophets or I'm getting ahead of myself, to take these uh, people that the king has sent and to enslave them or keep them or even kill them. And sure enough, if you look back on the Jewish history, that is exactly what happens. This is kind of a, a message that I have spoken before as well here in this place, that the Jews were given multiple chances. They had prophets come and try to correct the Jews' behavior both as a nation and as a people. They had judges in the beginning who tried to do the right thing to help set the nation where it needed to be. In fact, you can go as far back as Cain and Abel to see that even Cain was given a second chance and not killed on the spot. The story continues on that after these wedding guests had rejected this offer, the king tells his servants to go out onto the streets and to just invite everybody who was there. It didn't matter if if they were a pauper. The king doesn't make that distinction. He invites all of them to come to the feast. And so a lot of people think, oh, well, this is the Gentiles. These are the people who were originally uninvited, but now everybody in the kingdom is welcome to come to this feast. There's a lot of wisdom there. You can see it. You can see the progression that God is like, I'm not, I'm not going to keep inviting people, although they are invited, to come to this wedding feast if they're just going to keep saying no if they're just going to keep killing my prophets, if they're just going to keep killing these people that I send. And then the Bible, and then this passage, ends with a very curious and ominous and uneasy verse where the king sees one of these very people that he invited up off the street into the wedding feast. And what ends up happening is the king rejects him. He says, you're not dressed the way that you're supposed to be. The guy has nothing to say, and so the king binds him and kicks him out out of the wedding feast. So my mind immediately goes to people like Judas, like Ananias and Sapphira, those Gentiles, those people who have been invited into the kingdom but aren't there for the right purposes who they are welcome to come and to partake in the feast, to rejoice in this wedding. But are they abusing the master's hospitality? Are they there for the right reasons? This story makes a lot more sense with this context. When we look at Scripture, and see it there. That this isn't just a story for right there and then, but to see that Jesus is actually making a final attempt. He's telling them this story again to help the Jews see themselves in the greater light of Scripture. To not just see themselves in the greater light of Scripture, but to also see themselves in the greater light of God's mercy. How even though they've rejected Him, He is offering it to them again. So I want to ask you a question. Now that we can see this pattern, now that we can see the Jews place in it, now that we can see the Gentiles place in it, now that it's a little bit more clear, I want to ask you a question. are gentiles are we above making the same error as the jews for my course this year at moody we have been going over a history of spiritual formation in the church and it's been funny because each time it has been earmarked by when the church has gone awry. You've got these desert fathers who come into the mix and they do some pretty crazy things, living lives of asceticism, eating moldy bread, giving everything they have to the poor, living out in these little desert communities because the church had become popular in Rome and it lost its way. And the desert fathers sought a Christianity that wasn't tarnished by popularity or doing it because it was convenient or doing it because it had an ulterior motive. The Desert Fathers had this idea that they wanted a faith that was unblemished with sin, that they wanted to seek God. And they didn't do everything right. But there's no ignoring the fact that the church had lost its way. You've got this monastery movement where believers and and, and friars and monks form these monasteries to discipline themselves in the reading of Scripture and the singing of hymns and doing good work for communities in hopes of creating an authentic Christian community that helped to draw them closer to Christ. You have the big the big one that everybody knows, the Reformation, where the Catholic Church had, in, had participated in the sale of indulgences to people. To, and if you don't know what that means, essentially what an indulgence was, was that a person could pay, could make a payment in money so as to make their punishment in the afterlife lesser. Lesser. Ridiculous. Martin Luther rebuked this thing so hard that he had 95. It's very funny because it was kind of like his version of Facebook. He like takes 95 of arguments, puts them on a piece of paper, comes up to a church and like sticks it on the door. And he's like, this is what's wrong. Everybody needs to get their act together. And what we know is that that started a movement in the church to bring about reform. One of the things I have been convinced about this uh, season, if you will, is that we, I, you, can fall into the same trap as our brothers and sisters in faith we can fall into the same trap as the Jews. And if I think about it, one of the things that happens later on in the Old Testament is, <laughs> it's really funny, uh, is I think it's in Malachi. Malachi. And essentially what uh, God tells his people is, is, I tire of your incense. I don't want your useless sacrifices. I want rivers of justice. I want true hearts. I want people, instead of paying to make things right, is this this sound familiar? Instead of paying to make things right to me, instead what I want is people to come before me with open hearts. I don't want you to just walk the walk. I don't want you to just talk the talk. I don't want you to just pay your way. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is people who are actually living in accordance with who I am. It's the same story in Malachi as it is today. And as believers, we walk this tightrope. We walk this tightrope of faith and action. Because it's not our actions that save us. But it is our faith that moves us into action so that people can see the same God that we do. It's our faith traditionally that has moved St. Patrick to create safe spaces in Ireland where people would be forced to leave behind their weapons. Forced is, is a strong word, but where they would need to leave behind their weapons to come into the safe community and to get all of the benefits of that safe community. It wasn't because St. Patrick was trying to earn his way to heaven, but to show them a slice of heaven as he was shown. It's believers like the missionaries that went to the Auka Indians, not because they felt they had to to earn salvation, but because they wanted this remote group of people to know the love and peace of Jesus Christ, despite their murderous tendencies. Brothers and sisters, this is Rivers of Justice. This is living with the heart of God at the forefront of our minds. This, brothers and sisters, is being a people of peace in the midst of tumultuous times so that people don't see the gospel of Biden or the gospel of Trump, but they see the gospel of Jesus Christ being lived out in every essence of who we are, and in every compassionate and kind word which we share, in every action that is filled with truth and justice. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it calls us into dangerous territory. It calls us into hard territory. It calls us to separate that which inside of us is in which our faith is entwined with all of these other things and it calls us to separate it and it is a hard and it is a painful process. But that is our cross. That is our payment. That is what we are called to do, Because as the desert fathers found out, they could not reconcile the world of Christianity as they knew it with their faith. As those who formed monasteries found out, they could not reconcile their faith with the popular Christian church of its day. As the reformers found out, they could not reconcile their faith with the papacy. In the scripture it talks about how God cuts into our souls and separates marrow from bone or tendon from bone. He doesn't leave us where we are. He doesn't leave us unaffected. Brothers and sisters, are you wearing your wedding gown? Or have we come into the king's presence irrespective of what his words or desire or intent is? Are we as a people willing to To let God cut us in such a way that hurts but ultimately drives us closer to Him. This is the gospel. It's not easy. Because it's about surrender and submission to something greater. The ultimate ideology. God's ideology. So that we might stop seeing people through our own eyes of division, of politic, or what have you, but through the eyes of Christ. And this is our wedding gown. This is is our action. This is our call. So brothers and sisters, you're invited. The king has sent his servants to invite you to the feast. Are you going to sell everything you can to get the wedding gown you can? so that you can be in his presence to live with him to feast with him or are we going to hold on to what we have let it hold us back are we going to be like those early disciples who came together and gave everything so that none of them had a need so that they were there for one another? Or are we going to be like Ananias and Sapphira? Are we going to be like Stephen, who though surrounded by enemies, counted everything he had but lost so that he could point people to Christ? Or are we going to be like Judas, holding on to those things, thinking that perhaps what we do might be the smart thing, although it is not the faithful thing. The gospel is uncomfortable. It's hard. But it is worth it. When I was in Uganda for four weeks, right out of my first year at Covenant College, I remember uh, going along the streets and meeting people who I'd I'd never met before who were living in dirt huts with a dirt floor. And some of them had even less. But I remember the one thing that was palpable on all of their faces. And you could see it in their eyes. You could see it in their countenance. You could see it in their soul, which was this joy that though they had nothing they had everything that though they were without they did not go without there is something to the gospel that shakes us and moves us and calls for us to be dependent on a god and to change ourselves to him in a way that is fundamentally life-changing, bone-shattering, cutting between the marrow and the bone, between the tendon and the bone. There is something fundamentally changing when we get that it's not about putting a few coins into the plate to please God, but instead living out lives that that care for the poor and have rivers of justice and that are truly in line with the heart of God and His desire for this world and how we show Him, how we show the world who He is through our lives. Brothers and sisters, this is what we're called to do. Because He did it For us. And that's how I know this is true. Because it wasn't rivers of justice, but it was rivers of blood that bled from the Savior's wrists and feet. As he passed people on the street, he did not let them go unchanged, in the midst of their blindness, and in the midst of their brokenness, and in the midst of their deafness, and in the midst of their lameness. Simon the Zealot was a man who wanted to reclaim the political power of Israel, to break free from the Roman Empire, to establish a new state. And the Zealots were known for using assassination and other forms of nefariousness to accomplish their aims. This Was an apostle of Christ. And this apostle didn't bring that into his life, but laid it down so that he could live out Christ's way. This is about giving up more than our things, this is more than about giving up our objects. This is about fundamentally giving up a piece of who we are so that we can be closer to Christ. That those pieces that are malformed and filled with sin and brokenness and selfishness, that we might leave that at the foot of the cross, at the altar, so that we can draw closer to Him. You are invited To the wedding feast. You absolutely are. But even if you have no coin, even if you have no objects, no property, count the cost. Can we live lives like our Savior did? Can we strive to be more like him every day so that people see more of him and less of us? Count the cost. Because that wedding gown has a price. Let us pray. Father God, we need you. Help us, O Lord God to depend on you, to rest in you. But even more so, O Lord God, help us to let go of that which resists being changed by you. Help us, O God, to come before you with hearts, with hands, with all that we have so that we might draw closer to your heart. so that we might better communicate your hope and your peace and your love and your compassion, so that we might be vessels for your Holy Spirit to go out and change this world. That through you, people might see us. That we would go from being that we would go from just being wedding guests to servants at the wedding, bringing more people in. Help us to continually draw strength through your Son, our Savior, who bled for us, who sacrificed for us so that we could go on, so that we could live, so that we would not be without God, we need you. Let your Holy Spirit rest upon us. And even now, Father God, help us to make our spirits malleable to you so that we might be changed by you so that we can draw closer to you. Father God, we need you. And in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.